Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Luke Wyatt. Luke appears on the guest line which is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and other made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call, 615-830-9458. A quick note before we start today. Again, I intend to have two or three podcasts a week. My schedule lately just the last two weeks between personal and professional things has been overwhelming. So I'm hoping to get back and especially pick it up on baseball content. Uh, But sometimes life throws you some curveballs and you just got to deal with those as you get them. And that's kind of where I am right now. Anyway, just want to let the audience know that because I know they're used to more episodes every week and I just have not been able to deliver recently. But anyway, hope you like the one today. It's a good one. I think there's a lot of stuff in there. So with that, on to our podcast today with Luke Wyatt. Luke Wyatt joins us today. It is Tuesday. We'd hoped to do this Monday, but schedules got in the way. Uh, my goodness, Luke, my last two weeks have been utter chaos between personal and professional schedules. Um, I feel like I've been lucky to do one of these a week lately, but uh, that's that's life. We're hoping to get back more on a regular schedule, and thank you for joining us. Absolutely. It's, uh, I know you've been going through a lot, and uh, hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel on a lot of those things for you, Chris, and uh, I wish you the best on all that. Yeah, it, it's been a tough couple of weeks, but anyway, uh, keep my family in your prayers, if you would, please. Yep. All right, let's start with, with basketball. Um, Vanderbilt gets a big win over Kentucky. A lot of fans thought Vanderbilt was in the NCAA tournament at that point. I have not been... Quick to jump on or off the bandwagon there. Where I finally settled, I thought that Vanderbilt deserved a bid, barely. I could understand why the committee kept Vanderbilt out. My stance, and this is a personal bias, what I look at a lot is is who did you beat. And where I do have a hard time adjusting is the, the bad losses. Like, what does a bad loss in November or December mean? But, look, Vanderbilt beat seven teams from the NCAA tournament. Um, that made the NCAA tournament as 11s or higher. I don't think it played another team that was like in the 12 to to 16 range. Could be wrong there. I thought that based on the big wins, the way it played in conference, it deserved it. But I also understood why Vanderbilt didn't make it. It is a body of work over the course of the season. Vanderbilt fans are, are killing the net. I happen to like predictive metrics. I think if you want to get the best teams, you look at those. By predictive metrics, Vanderbilt just really wasn't that great of a team. It outscored opponents by 14 points over the course of the season. And again, I mix it together. I do look at the predictives. I rate what did you do? Because why play the games with outcomes otherwise? And I think that those seven significant wins, in my mind, as you compared those to other bubble teams, Vanderbilt had done more in that regard. But it also had three losses in quad three and four. Now, to be fair... Most teams in, in bubble consideration have some flaws, and so 
to single out Vanderbilt's flaws would be unfair and not do that to other teams. Bottom line, I thought Vanderbilt deserved to be in the tournament, but I also understood why it was not. Okay. Uh, my take, Chris, is a little bit different than yours. Not completely, but I guess my first question is, how many games would Vanderbilt have had to win to gotten in the tournament? Well, I'll give you my honest opinion. I based on what, and I'm not just doing this from Vanderbilt. I'm looking at what it did to A&M last year. I'm looking at seeding. Like if you had if you had counted the way teams played in tournaments, Texas A&M, in my opinion, would have been a five or six. Instead, it was a seven. Penn State would have been an eight or a nine. Instead, it was a ten. I feel like I saw that play out in different parts of the bracket. I feel like unless you won the conference tournaments, they just didn't matter. And that's my big gripe. Why are we playing basketball and charging admission and getting people invested and watching on TV if all that matters is who wins the tournament? I think some of these teams don't play a lot of games against NCAA tournament caliber competition. That's really where I judge you. Can you win a game against NCAA caliber opposition? And look, the predictive metrics, I think those are good, especially for the the mid-major teams and the low-majors who don't get a chance. Because if FAU or Murray State or somebody calls up and says, hey, will you schedule us and calls Kentucky or Auburn or, or whoever, most coaches, if it's a respectable mid-major program, they're not going to take the game. And so I think the predictives, because people will look at FAU and teams and say, who did you beat? And I'll be like, well, you didn't get a chance to play any of them. And so I think that the predictives there are, are very valuable in those senses, and that's why I don't discount them. Um, I, I've lost my train of thought a little bit here, to be honest with you. But, but uh, we went, yeah. No, my question Go was, ahead. we went 20 and 14. What would our right. record be had to, to have gotten in the tournament? Yeah, and, and that's that's where I was going to go. My My apologies. I think it would have had to have been 22 and, and, and 13. I, I think that apart from winning the tournament, I, I'm guessing they weren't getting in regardless. And I think that's stupid. Why, why do you play several games that do not count? They, they take the tournament winner, and, and that's really all that matters. The games that you win on, especially Fridays and Saturdays, don't seem to matter at all. Look, if Maybe it's a time thing. I get that you've got a lot of intricacies with the bracket. Excuse me, I can't speak this morning. And you've got to figure out seeding, and you can't match this team against that team, and that takes some time. I get it. That's why maybe why you need to make some decisions ahead of time. But if that's where you are, make a rule to where all the games have got to be played by by Saturday, by Saturday night. Give the committee, or maybe by Saturday afternoon, give the committee another, I don't know, you know, 24 hours of deliberation to factor in those games. But I just don't think it's fair when you're playing tournament games and Vanderbilt got a win against Kentucky on a neutral floor that, in my opinion, didn't really appear to count. Yeah, so, I mean, that's what's ridiculous to me. You know, you beat a Kentucky team that's in the tournament as a sixth seed, you beat them twice in a nine-day period, and you get nothing for it. You might as well have been playing Claremont Mud, which is ridiculous. Right. I mean, and, and the problem I have with, like, the net and Ken Palm Okay, I get when you drop and you have a bad loss. That's fine. But the Kimba, there's no movement in it. Vanderbilt ran off all those wins, and they stayed within the same one or two spots. So what good – I mean, Florida's still, what, 35 spots ahead of us? 
in yeah. the final one and, and beat them twice with Castleton once and without him once. To me, that there's no merit in that. And I'm just using that as a Vanderbilt comparison. I saw one where Tarleton State played someone, and there was 14 spots moved. I mean, I, I, I don't get what, you know, a computer doesn't have a heart. A computer just crunches numbers. It's a bean counter that with no human factor. I'm, I'm sorry, but Dick Vitale said it best. He's only got one eye, and you can tell with one eye who, could be, who should be in a tournament and who should and that's, you know, that's, it's, the, it's the look test. It's the, co- the coaches know who should be in, in tournaments. And I guarantee you if there was a coach's poll that said who should be in the tournament, Vanderbilt would have been in the tournament. Not, not just Vanderbilt. I think that Clemson would have been in the tournament. Look, Clemson beat the NC State three times by 20-plus points, and NC State's in and Clemson's not. Now, I know you look at the whole season and all that, but that's just common sense. That's where – all of this has taken a step back. Common sense has left the room. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. You you can't compare teams against each other. You got to compare them to the field, or you get screwy stuff. I've I've tried to do that. And if you say, well, this team beat this team, and so it's got to be ahead, you end up putting a team you know ten spots higher than it should be. And I I understand that. That's the difficulty of trying to do it. And I mean, I I bet I spent. I don't know, probably 20 hours the last couple of weeks trying to sort through this and look at everybody's stuff. But I think the bottom line, if, if they get the win over Grambling and, and maybe pick one up over, I don't know, uh, win, win the VCU game or something like that or, or beat Memphis at home, I think at that point they probably get in. The, the net, I think, is a sorting mechanism. That's what I've always said. I think it's helpful in helping you categorize wins. And look, they benefited some by the net. That Florida win in Gainesville was what a what Claude won, I think. Um, so that actually helped them a little bit in some cases. But I do wonder if the committee, because this happened to Wisconsin too, I thought Wisconsin also deserved to be in. I think the committee at some point, I wonder if it just said, hey, w- once you get into the 70s, although it's put teams in the 70s before, m- maybe the appetite to put in a team w- with the net in the 80s just wasn't there. I don't, I don't know. I, I think you could have... You, you probably could have justified keeping them out on, on other stuff too uh, because none of the predictives like Vanderbilt. But, again, I, I would have put them in, but I understand the reasons they didn't. And, and I think your point about common sense also was not unfair. Yeah, I, uh, yeah I'm just happy the kids get to keep playing basketball. Whether they're going to be in the mood to do that, I don't know. You know how it is. You're, it's hard to tell. You see some teams that just come out and there's nothing left in the tank and they don't don't really care about the NIT. I hope that's not the case tonight when we play Yale. Um uh, because if we don't come out and want to play well against a team that can shoot it as good as they can, uh we'll get run out of our own gym. So anyway, and then the Miles Duty thing, you don't know how that's gonna affect our basketball team. Uh, and you Chris, you may want to elaborate on what I'm talking about there. Yeah, Miles Studi has hit the portal. I I would presume if you're in the portal you're not you're not playing in the NIT. I don't know how they'll handle that. And, and by the way, I'm in I'm in Colorado as we speak, so I right. won't be there tonight. I'll be watching from TV and trying to cover that in the in the baseball game from the internet um, and, and get up at some hour of darkness in the morning to catch a flight. So in any case, that's uh, it's going to be my night. Yeah, I, I don't think I think he's announced he's not playing in the game. So uh, okay, I, I don't know how big of a loss that is given how he's played of late. No, I mean, you know, it's, 
and I wish the kid well. You know, he's got a shot, and if he can get his shot back, he can help a, a mid-major. Uh, he can help anybody, really, but, you know, he, he he's obviously has his limitations and everything else that he does on a basketball court. But he that's one thing, when he does have his shooting eye, he can fill it up. But uh, in the SEC, I think he was shooting in the 20s percentage-wise. So he, need, he probably needs to change the scene. You know, you see this happen a lot in Major League Baseball where a guy does nothing for somebody and then – go somewhere else and learn some lessons at the place he was before, uh, you know. So I wish him well. All right, let's talk actual basketball for a minute. I was on press row for the games. Man, I thought their backcourt, if you include Jordan Wright in that. Um, Lawrence Mignon and, and Jordan Wright are really getting a lot done. And, and if they get all three of those guys back next year, I just think the experience in those guys alone, if you can fill some holes elsewhere, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to feel about that team next year yet, but I'm starting to think if, if they can get all three of those guys back, those dudes have played so much basketball together, and Tyrell Lawrence has really come on the second half of the season, and, and so has Ezra Mannion as he's gotten comfortable yep. with being a little bit of a scoring point guard. I feel like that's changed the dynamic of the program a little bit. I, I, again, I don't know what's going to happen with Jordan Wright, uh, but if, if you get those three guys back, Colin Smith has done some things at, at times. Isaiah West, I'm guessing, could probably help them next year. Um, you know, Paul, Paul Lewis, you, you know what? You were right about that one. Um, yeah. When I saw him up close in the SEC tournament, I really liked what he gave them. I think suddenly you've got a foundation of a team where, especially if they get right back, you can see them in the NCAAs next year without having to squint too much. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting, uh, and, and a little bit back to what it takes to get to the NCAA. I mean, if I'm Jerry Stackhouse, you almost just schedule nothing but, and I'm not talking about Gramblings, I'm talking about worse than Gramblings. Look who's down at 363 and try to schedule 10 games against them because that it doesn't really matter no. if it looks like play. I, I completely – they they penalize teams for that too. What, you just got to win those games. See, that's where they went wrong, Luke. He didn't take yeah. those games seriously enough. It's that That's not yeah, on – I mean, that, that's not that's not a schedule weaker thing. That's I, And then there's – the non-conference schedule was nice. The computers didn't really like it. I thought it was probably a little bit better than given credit for. And, and they played some NCAA tournament teams, but they were also the teams – that for the most part barely snuck in except for St. Mary's, which they didn't beat. Uh, NC State was one of the last teams in the field. Uh, the, the Memphis, boy, if they could have gotten that one, that would have been a good win. Memphis played really well at the end. But, um, yeah, that, but that's not the, – the, the answer is not scheduling a bunch of weak teams and, and pounding them into the dirt, although that did work for Tennessee at some nights. But maybe it's you pound the ones that you can pound in the dirt into the dirt, but – but make sure it's respectable enough to where you're not, you know, 200 well, or 300 something in non-conference strength to schedule when, when the NCAA makes its decision. Uh, here's my thing, Chris, and it was back to that question I asked you how many games Vanderbilt should win. Look, according to – we weren't even close to getting in. So, to me, Vanderbilt would have had to have gone like 25-8 and eight and won 15 SEC games to get in, which is utterly ridiculous. We weren't even close to getting in. We were nine to ten teams back. 
So if well, again, I, I think I think it should have swapped a couple wins in the SEC tournament for a couple of wins in the regular season. Which I don't understand. I, which know, which I, I don't I don't agree with it. I don't I don't like it. Again, that that's that's a big pet peeve of mine. All the games need to count, but I'll I'll bet you that would have helped. Yeah, I mean I I don't know if there's a penalty for just saying, "Hey guys, we're not playing in this thing." I don't know. Maybe that would have helped them to not played any games. I don't know. That just is crazy. It's to me. It and it's always going to be a flawed system. I get that. You're never going to get it all right. But there's been. In the past, I just look at the way it's done, and it's totally different now. And I guess because we haven't even been in the conversation for the last five years that I just, I didn't notice how much it's changed of the criteria to get in. And I, I, I don't know. It's just there's no way in the world an SEC team that won 13 conference games, and this is probably the, what do you think, the third best conference of the Power Fives maybe? So, um, how, how, yeah. You know, and you got – teams with losing records in your conference again if it doesn't matter what happens in the sec tournament why it, it sounds like it doesn't even matter what happens in the sec season mississippi state had a losing record in the sec vanderbilt beat them so i don't i don't know i i, I don't know how you sort through it i really don't well they they did move up in the net they were 130 something in the first net they did get into you know into the high 70s before losing to A&M look here's the thing I'm looking at Ken Palm right now which it tells you where you are February 4th they entered that game with Ole Miss at number 100 they beat Ole Miss by 3 points Ole Miss was 115 in the net so it did nothing for their Ken Palm rating which mirrors really closely with the net by the way um they beat Tennessee um, they were 100 going into that game, which moved them up five spots to the Florida game, but they won that by one point. And again, margin of victory factors in there. What Kim Palm is designed to do is be a predictive computer. And again, there's some flaws with this. Florida's a team that that I think everybody would agree was not as good as the computers rated it. And I get that. You don't expect the computer to be perfect, but um, it's it's a tool. It's one of the tools, and unfortunately those were the ones that didn't like Vanderbilt. But again, I can explain why when you had a scoring margin of 14 points over, what, 34 games? Well, I'll give you my opinion, then we can move on. But there's tools in everybody's tool bag, and there's always a tool that you never use. That's the one they need to throw out of the tool bag, in my opinion. But anyway, Well, I, I, think it's, I think it's useful for some teams. Again, it wasn't the most helpful tool for this one. But, I mean, look, they had, they had a lot going against them. Here's the other thing I looked up, Luke. I think they only let one team in with a, a four, with 14 losses or more. That was West Virginia. I thought West Virginia, based on resume, should have been an eight. It got a nine. West Virginia was top 20 in the predictive computers, top five strength of schedule. Um, so I think, and you had a lot of mid-majors on the committee. I think what happened was that those teams got a little bit more of a boost. You saw Utah State and Nevada get in, which the computers love. The computers love the Mountain West for whatever reason this year. I don't know that I agree with that, but it just was. I think what happened is the teams that lost 13, 14 games in power conferences, uh, the, the committee at some point between maybe the net or, or maybe I, th I think maybe more likely the number to the right of the dash just said, hey, you, you had your chances, you lost that many times, and we're kind of done with you. Um, I, I'd like to talk a little bit, if you don't mind, Chris, about the – No, go ahead. Yeah. 
I, I just go and going into the NCAA tournament. I, I, uh, and, and I talked about it earlier in the year. I didn't think the conference was as strong as we thought it was going to be. Um, uh, you know, A&M and Bama, obviously the best two teams in the league right now, I think. And they, uh, I just think that of the teams that the eight teams that made it, I only see two with a chance of getting out of the first weekend. I think six of them will either lose the first or the second game. I don't think Auburn in any way they can get out of their deal. They got Houston if they happen to beat Iowa, I think. Um, I don't know. I, who do you who do you think can uh, advance to the Sweet 16 out of this group or further? Well, um, as I look at it, this wasn't intentional. I got one SEC team in the Sweet 16. See, that's, that's, so we agree on that. I, I mean, I, there is some tough matchups. I'll agree with that. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not saying Vanderbilt could have done any better, but I will tell you this: there's some some of those teams, they're not getting out of that first weekend, brother. They're not, and they probably won't get out of that first game. No, um, uh, I, I've, I've got Alabama winning the whole thing. I, I would have had A&M to the 16, or the A&M got completely jobbed by the committee. It, it should have never been a seven. It, it drew a 10 in Penn State. That's an awful matchup. Penn State should have been an eight. Uh, that was one thing that stood out. The other thing, how in the world does Auburn get basically a home game in its first two know. games as a nine seed? They're playing in Birmingham. And uh, Auburn fans are going to travel. You saw it in Nashville. Sure. I mean, look, it's, there's so many flaws with this thing. And, and I don't want to crush the committee because I don't know, but I, I, I saw some laziness in all this. And oh, I, I did I, too. I, just, and I think that's part of the problem. Um, you know, and not just because of Vanderbilt or Clemson, the two teams that I thought that got screwed more than anybody, pardon my language. Uh, I, I think there's just laziness all the way around. And I think there's always bias. There's human bias. I don't care what anybody says there is because I know for a fact that we got in one year when it was helpful because of a personal relationship. So I know that for a fact. So it probably still goes yeah. on. Um Unless they open the field to everybody, it's going to continue to be like this. Well, and, and fans have harped on the predictive computers. The predictive computers are the ones that got them in in Kevin's last year. Right. So they they have benefited from that before. By the way, the, the three teams, I did not have Arizona State, Pitt, or Nevada in, but I had them as my second, third, and fourth teams out. Um, I had I, – I, I again, this is my bias. I am bigger on – did you beat the kind of teams that they're in the tournament? For that reason, I had Vanderbilt, Wisconsin, and Rutgers all in. Both those, or all three of those teams, had a lot of wins over teams that made the field. The committee instead chose teams that were that, that had fewer losses. Again, twelve or fewer. Nevada had ten. Pitt had eleven. Arizona State had twelve. Uh, Arizona State actually had some good wins. Arizona Creighton. Arizona on the road uh, was where they won that game. USC, VCU, uh, Pitt beat Virginia, Northwestern, Miami, NC State, and Nevada beat San Diego State, Boise State, Utah State. But they didn't beat as many tournament-type teams. Uh, they did benefit from getting some – well, not a lot. Uh, Arizona State was 5-6 and six in quad one. Pitt was 4-4. Four and four. Nevada was 4-5. and five. Um, I, I thought Pitt might get left out because Pitt won 15 games in its quad three and four. Uh, but – Whatever, whatever the committee saw in Pitt, it liked, and Pitt was not. Pitt also was not 
great in the predictives. It was 67 in the net. So, and Arizona State was 66 in the net. So, what, what, like half of our schedule was against NCAA tournament teams, correct? Pretty much 15 games. Uh, Let's see. Memphis, that's one. St. Mary's, two. VCU is three. Pitt is four. NC State is five. Missouri, six. Tennessee, seven. Arkansas, eight. Alabama, nine. Kentucky, 10. A&M, 11. Alabama, 12. Tennessee, 13. Auburn, 14. Kentucky, 15. Mississippi State, 16. Kentucky, 17. Texas A&M, 18. So, no, it's it's more than half. It's 18 of the 34 games. And see, that that's where I think the committee misses it. Like, I had Wisconsin in the field. Wisconsin played a grand total, Luke, of seven games in quad three and four. It went 11 and 13 against quads one and two. Yes, it went 17 and 13, but it, but it beat Marquette, Maryland, swept Iowa, beat USC, swept Penn State. That's seven wins right there against NCAA tournament teams that were 10 seeds or better. Also beat Michigan, uh, which is what a, a three seed in the NIT. See, that's where I think the committee screwed up. I think the committee did not give enough deference to what did you actually do when you start isolating who you you played and, and who did you beat. And I think it just, I don't know, it, it went with other things. And I, I think the, the, the number to the right of the dash – I mean, it's hard to say whether it was that or it was the net that, that cost Vanderbilt and Wisconsin both. But, again, you, you look at what the committee did with West Virginia, giving it a, a seed line lower than I thought. I think that the the total loss number, I, I, I think, um, hurt some teams. Well, I, um, I think tonight, uh, you know, I, I hope the kids play hard and play well because if they get past Yale tonight, uh, more than likely get to play Michigan in here Saturday. I think the kids would definitely be excited to play in that one. So if they can uh, get the juice up for tonight, we can still have some more fun. And you get to see them play here at home if you're a Vanderbilt fan. Uh, I don't expect a huge crowd tonight, maybe 4,000. But if we win this one Saturday, we might get eight or 10,000 in there for Michigan. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster. So go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Let's talk baseball. Uh, Where are you with this team? Because I feel like we're a month in the season, and I really don't know that I know what to make of this team 
more than I did coming into the season. I mean, the pitching's been great, the, the fielding is solid, but man, the hitting just keeps getting worse. You know, there's something I do, Chris, that's probably kind of odd, but I, I, actually, I, you may agree with it. When I said at baseball games, and I go to every game, I think I've missed, I missed one because I went to the basketball game the other day. Um, I was there Sunday. One thing I do, I count barrels. In other words, when we hit a ball, line drive right at somebody. I put I put a check mark. I mean, like to me, that's like a hit because most of the time those are going to fall in. I don't count dribblers that become a hit. I, don't, I count that as a bat at bat. So with that the case, we're averaging ten hits a game. So I don't think it's as bad as it appears because we're hitting a lot of line drives. Now, what makes it look bad is because we are hitting a lot of line drives, but we're also hitting a lot of slow grounders and weak pop-ups, too, to go with it. So, But it's kind of working its way out. You can see Enrique's almost ready to break out. He's real close. Uh, he's got his average up now in the 230s. Uh, but the other day, he hit three ropes and then also got on base twice. So uh, you get him going with Shrek. Uh, R.J. Austin thinks going to be fine. Uh, you got to get a couple more guys going. Maldonado's been a, a pleasant surprise. He's he's hitting gaps all day long. Um, the biggest problem, Chris, has been Enrique not getting on base. Yeah, this team is way the way Enrique goes. He's an energy guy, and he gets everybody focused. He gets everybody's juices flowing, and that's what we're missing. And I don't want to put all the pressure on Enrique. But it's the way it is. With this team, Enrique has to hit around 300 at least. And he's got to be on there swiping bases and creating havoc and taking pressure off the younger guys uh, when they come to the plate. I have a theory on him, and it's based some on what I've watched, some on him being pulled from games, which does not happen often, but has happened a few times this year, and some based on a little bit of intel I got. Um I can't prove it. I'm not reporting it. I have. I think he is dealing with some kind of an injury that he's nursing. That's them. left. Yeah, that that's left him well enough to play. And like I look at him in the field, and it doesn't seem to affect him there. Like he he covers gap to gap better than oh. a lot of major league center fielders. Like he made that play in the Sunday game where he almost ran into Calvin Hewitt. Yeah, I mean. He was stationed over near the right field gap and and made that play in the left field alley and and got there and made it while he was still on his feet and managed to not run into Calvin Hewitt. I mean, it was like an incredibly athletic play. But I see him – yes. I don't think he's nearly as quick, as fast down the line. I've seen – I don't know how many times in the past I'm thinking, like, am I going crazy? Because I think he would have beaten this ball out or that ball out in his first two years. I don't know if he is going at at 90% effort. And look, I'm not judging him. If if you're trying to play through an injury, and especially if it's a leg injury, um, if you pull the hammy or a groiner, that, that can last for weeks. And so maybe this is the best of both worlds. You get him out there at 80% or whatever. He's 9-12 on stolen bases, um, and he's been picked off twice. That's five times he's been caught on the base pass. 
I mean, he didn't. He got caught once all year last year, and that was on a pickoff. I just yeah, see something in him, and it's showing up in the numbers that that I I don't think he's well. Well, uh, and and it could be most of our games have been played in cold you know cold environments. Yeah. Had a lot of bad weather as always. That may be part of it too. I, and he's making sure he doesn't pull a hammy or whatever. I don't know. Um, he looks a little thicker to me. I don't know that. So that could be it too. Sometimes when you add muscle, you slow down a little bit. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I I do think he's coming around with the bat as far as just swinging it. Um, I, just just observing him every game and every pitch. Uh, and I, I don't understand. There's one thing I don't understand about our hitting. And I'm not being critical to Mike Baxter. I'm not being critical to the kids individually. But, man, we take a lot of fastballs. Yeah. I don't understand that. I don't. I I, I don't get that. It just seems like we – and it's not just one or two guys. It's like the whole team. I don't know if there's some strategy to that. I don't know. But whatever it is, it, it has not worked real well. I see two things with them. I feel like they must lead the country in line drives that are fouled by like one or two feet or less. <laughs> and I feel like they, they absolutely lead the country in in soft ground ball outs to the infield. Yeah, and that's, which is a weird dynamic because you're either hitting a barrel or you're not hitting it at all. Right. Probably. And sometimes those dribblers can just get through by a matter of luck, and they don't seem to be doing that almost at all. No, 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 they're not. Uh, now, I will say this. Every weekend, we've won two out of three, and that's that's the formula for any kind of baseball you play is to win two out of three. And of all those weekends we played, uh, I think LMU was probably the – or maybe the Minnesota weekend. One of those two were the weakest opponents, but there still weren't bad opponents there. And uh, as long as they keep winning two out of three, I think the only really what I call a bad loss was the Central Arkansas? Yeah, that yeah, that was sustainable. Uh, Nebraska a little bit, but again, Nebraska was luck. You hit three home runs, but they're all solos, and we've hit seventeen or eighteen home runs, and I don't know the number, but Chris, it's got to be ten or twelve of them are solos. The Central Arkansas game, I was at that one, and a few things like Central Arkansas made some tremendous defensive plays on line drives and stuff like that, and and they also strung together. Several balls that just found gaps. I mean, they lost that one five to four. They didn't play poorly. It just was a it's a baseball game. And um, right, Tim Corbin's reaction after a game a lot of times tells you something. He wasn't upset at all from losing that one. Now I think they should have either taken Nebraska or the third LMU game. Uh, that that's kind of more where I got. To, I mean, you you could say maybe this team should be fourteen and three. Fine. Uh, and I think the hitting has been so glaring in terms of where they've lacked that it's obscured the pitching a little bit too. Right. Um, uh, the one kid I'm concerned about right now is Calvin Hewitt. He looks lost. Yeah, I I don't get that one. I've always thought he's been a good player. You know, the other guy, Jonathan Vasting looked like he was going to hit 450 <laughs> the first two or three weeks. <laughs> He bit. has really come back to earth. Yeah, and he's striking out a lot. Yeah, we got to get him right, and I think he will. His swing is pretty. He's got a, he's got a good swing now. He's got a very aggressive swing. Uh, I can see the 
I can see this. I can see him wind up hitting when it's all said and done. I think he's going to be one of these guys that goes through a 0 for 20, but then he's going to bang out 10 for 12. So I think he's going to wind up hitting 280 to 300. Here's the most uh, interesting stat. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. One question. Any? Do you have any info? I know you're out of town, but do you have any info on Parker Nolan, why he got benched for the first time? I don't. It might have been you or somebody else that told me he dropped a, a pop fly um, he did. or a foul ball. He, knee- so. he did. But I don't know if that was the reason for it or if there was an injury there. And then also, I haven't heard anything else on Dukanich. I was there the day he got injured. Uh, but I haven't heard anything about it because there hasn't been any reporting since you're not here. We don't we don't hear anything, and I have I'm not going to call Corbs and bother him during the season. I never do, unless it's just a congratulations for something. Um, but I'd love to know where he is, where Dukanich is, and David Horn. David Horn pitched in I think Texas and hasn't pitched since, and he looked good. Yeah, he did. He did. Well, and, and what's interesting is that J.D. Thompson, who wasn't pitching at all, has, has kind of started to pitch a little bit and pitch pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Although, did he give up a walk or two the other day? He gave up uh, one. No, he, he did not. Loaded. Jack Anderson had no control. Jack walked the bases yeah. loaded and hit a guy. And he came in and tried to clean up the mess. Gave up one inherited run, I think, or maybe two uh, that were Jack's. And then, and then got out of the inning. Yeah, well. quicker, quicker well. hook there. Maybe they got a chance the way they scored in the ninth. But um, back to Parker Nolan. I mean, look, slash line 258, 324, 387. That's batting average on base and, and slugging. That's not that's not nearly acceptable enough for your first baseman in, in this day and age. I mean, it's not acceptable for your first baseman in any day and age offensively. Uh, and he's also got four errors. Good grief. Um, I mean, I, I think. I think the stats probably tell the story there. Plus, you got Maldonado, who's really – I mean, Maldonado's probably making as good a contact consistently, as good a hard contact as anybody on the team right now. And they've got to have another bat in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, uh, again, I do think there's going to be some ups and – I think there's going to be a lot of kids. You know, the Bolger-Espinal thing behind the plate, neither one of them are hitting uh, now. I know SB did early in the season with that grand slam and so forth. But you can still see he's lost on breaking balls. Um, but defensively, Espinal's head and shoulders above Jack. Bulger has got the one of the strangest hitting lines I've ever seen. He's hitting 160. He's got an on-base average of 417, and he's slugging 200. <laughs> that is strange. He, yeah, I mean, uh, it's also small yeah. sample size, but yeah. It, it is. Um, it's, I don't know if there's anybody else that hasn't gotten a shot. You know, J.D. Rogers got in it bad the other day. He was involved on that pop-up that they all collided on. He wound up getting a hit out of that. But he's only had like two or three at-bats. So I don't know if J.D.'s – I'd heard some good things about him in the offseason. Um, but they, they just have to find – I think they're going to be all right with three or four guys. Shrek is really starting to swing it. He's hitting, Even when he makes outs right now, he's hitting line drives. Um, but they've got to get – Enrique going, or we're going to have problems. Okay, I'm looking at SEC stats, and they have by far played the toughest schedule. And I think that needs to be considered. They are hitting 247. Next worst team in the league is A&M at 283. And batting average is the most overrated stat 
oh, in no baseball. I, I just don't I don't like using it, especially at the college level. What I like is on base percentage. Yeah. Um, but goodness gracious, they're 420 is the 13th best on base percentage in the league. They're 357, Luke. Yeah. Um, and it's weird you talk about them taking too many pitches. They're last in the league in walks. Like, how do you get to the point where you're taking, you're taking a lot of pitches like that, but you're also last in the league in walks? Every time I look up at the scoreboard or in my or just watching the game, it's o two one two o two one two o two one two. Well, your percentage of getting a hit after you get two strikes goes way way down. We all know that. Yeah. Hitter, even the best of hitters. So we've got to get out of that. We've got to recognize pitches better out of the hand. Um, I, you know, I, I want to always give credit, and Corbs is this way too. Let's give credit to the other guys. You know, there's other teams; that, they're trying to beat you too. And they, and a, a, Vanderbilt has still has a little bit of a target on their back, whoever they play. So that's part of it too. I think some of these midweek games or, or weekend games against lesser supposedly at lesser opponents, you're getting their best. And I somehow think our kids uh, don't react to that. Uh, I think yeah. they think, well, we're Vanderbilt, they're LMU, we'll win this. We might not be pretty winning it, but we're going to just win the game and move on. And that's a dangerous way. To, you're playing with fire when you do that. How do you explain the huge offensive numbers everywhere? Florida scored 202 runs. That's exactly 100 more than Vanderbilt. Uh, middle of the pack and runs scored in the league is probably around 150. Is it the ball? I mean, it, we, we've got our opinions about the bats. I'm, I'm thinking that given what the SEC is about to do with the bats in terms of checking in league games, and so maybe the standards are not going to be out of league what they are in league. But if I am going to be using tampered bats, and I know that in conference play, that's not going to happen. I'm either going to want to wean my way off or, or not use them at all to get my players used to them. And I'll, maybe coaches are just going, hey, I, want, I want to win every game and I'll do what I need to do in that game. But I'm, I'm just curious because you've heard some talk of the, of the balls being juiced. I don't know if that's I don't think if there's so. any research behind that or if that's just gut feeling, but I don't understand. Like, you're you're looking at offensive numbers that are approaching, you know, where, where baseball was in the late 90s, and we're, we're doing this in February and March, man, when the weather is colder and usually damper. Well, I don't know. I think, I think some of the pitching I've seen is just horrendous on um, some of these. I watch a ton of baseball SEC teams on the ESPN plus that I have. And I, gosh, now I always use Tennessee as an example for one reason, but anyway, just some of the pitching they've seen is like, I mean, it's just right down the middle. It's cookies all day long. That's part of that. And then their ballpark, as you well know, I mean, to me, their sample size, the only three decent teams they've played, Boston college, grand Canyon and Arizona, they lost all three and didn't score many runs. Um, they beat up on a Moorhead staff. They beat up on a Gonzaga staff. So I think, and, and other teams too. I've, I've seen who they play. Uh, it's just pitching. That's the only. That's the reason why I'm concerned at some of our non-conference games against, say, an LMU or Central Arkansas. We haven't joined the club as far as getting. You know, we had the one game where we scored 12 runs, uh, but we haven't consistently strung hits together. Whereas yeah. other teams are doing, other teams are doing that. And I think Chris, we're going to find out this weekend as SEC starts. We're, 
you know, you usually hear about great pitchers. I think take LSU out of the mix and Tennessee to some extent, you don't hear anybody talking about how great the pitching is right now. Monday's oh, see, I, I just I think there's some really good arms in this league. I mean, I think there's a lot of first-round type arms. Uh, well, Florida's really struggled to pitch, but it's got a lot of talent on the mound. I, that That's one I don't get. Florida's a weird team, man. They Florida's are, hitting they, the tar out of the ball, but it, um, it's also got a 477 ERA. I, I guess that did some stat padding over the weekend, but yeah, anyway. I, I'm just, I, I'm I'm sold on LSU. I think they're the best team out there. I really do. Uh, and then I think it's, I think there's probably about six or seven teams you can put in there. You know, D1 poll came out, and uh, we moved up one after this weekend. So we went from seventh to sixth in the nation. And there, there's got to be a reason for that, too, because I think D1 is my favorite poll to look at. I think they do the best job of trying to, as far as being accurate. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just think that when the SEC starts, you're going to see some different numbers. Yeah, I like D1, too. The The only criticism I have of D1 is that um, I, I don't think they weigh enough for, for the, the third game of a series. In other words, if you win a series 2-1, to one, it's the same as if you win it 3-1. to one. It, it seems like in listening to them talk through it, and I get it, you're, you're trying to rank a bunch of teams on the fly, and those guys do an unbelievable amount of work. I don't know how any of them ever sleep. So it's, yeah. it's easier just to say you won a series, you move up, you lost a series, you move down. But I do think some stuff gets lost in there, and that's probably where Vanderbilt's a little bit overrated. It is winning series two to one uh, instead of three to nothing. Um, now you look at the computers, and I know I, I am I'm always bigger on computer polls, than, and and of course the fan base is really sour on any computers right now. <laughs> after after the basketball yeah. stuff. But I've looked right. at the – there's a few predictive ratings out there for baseball right now, and I, I do put some stock into those, and, and, and they're a little concerning. Um, I'm looking at Boyd's World's Icers right now. Vanderbilt is 28th. Um, other SC, By the way, Boston College is leading that right now. The, the, the issue I have with Boyd's World, I feel like they overvalue the West Coast a little bit. Uh, traditionally, I don't know if they've changed it. By the way, Wofford number four right now, so there's probably some flukes in here. But you've got in the SEC. Okay, I'm I'm I may be a little less LMU high on Boyd's LMU. World right now when I look at this one. Wasn't LMU like 37th in that? Uh, let's see. They've okay. They've they've got Boston College one, Northeastern two, Virginia three, Wofford four, UCLA five, South Carolina six, Kentucky seven, Ole Miss eight. UCSB nine, North Carolina State ten. I'm LSU's down at seventeen. Okay, throw throw that one out for now. His stuff is usually fairly good, but it's not. It's not. There's something missing there yet with sample size yeah. or something. But um, I'm gonna look at Warren Nolan does ELO. That's his predictive rating, which I didn't used to like. He used to have some funny stuff, but I feel like in later years, um, his his have looked more like I think they look okay. Here's here's Warren Nolan's ELO. Um, I'm, I'm going to go one all the way down to Vanderbilt at 13. LSU, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Tennessee, Florida, Louisville, Wake Forest, Oklahoma State, UCLA, Texas A&M, Virginia, East Carolina, Vanderbilt, followed by Stanford, South Carolina, Texas Tech. So that would be your 16 hosting teams from now. I feel like that one squares pretty well with 
you know, what, what you mostly think of these teams is, is baseball programs and, and teams. Yeah. So that's one ranking that's got them 13 overall. Uh, Kenneth Massey's, I look at that one. Let me pull that one up. I think they were in the high 20s. And again, I, one, I look at I look at these more to to see where like if if you got an LSU or a Tennessee or, or LSU in particular high in this one, then I'm a little more inclined to respect it because that that tells you they nailed that. Okay, college baseball, they've got I think Virginia number one, yeah, and LSU two, Ole Miss three, Arkansas four, South Carolina five, Vanderbilt is all the way down at 25 today. Well, again, all this will be kind of sorted out once we get cranked up in the conference. I, you know, I guess what what my point is about the pitching is, you know, the name maybe it's a name thing. You know, you always had big names like the Rock, Rocker and Lighter for us, and whoever else it was at Florida that was so good, or or Tennessee. But you don't hear the names except Paul Skeens, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I mean, who who like for instance, our two best pitchers. For some reason, don't carry that clout. Does that make sense? Like Carter Holton's name and Hunter Owens' name are our household names, even though they've done great. They're pitching great. I guess that's my point with the pitching. Yeah. Um, well, part of it is you're looking at juniors that get a little bit more draft run. Um, right. You know, the other thing, Hunter Owens has made four starts and pitched 19 innings. Carter Holton has made four starts and pitched 20.1. So these guys are going five innings a start. I mean, you can't really dazzle people with those numbers. Skeens is going, what, seven, eight? Yeah, he's... Some he's of some of us have got a deeper bullpen, but which I guess also begs some questions about usage that, you know, maybe if they'd pulled a couple pitchers earlier, they would have would have had another win or two. But we got to get you back is. in town so you can find out about Dukanich and any other things going on like that. Because we don't... We're not yeah, I, I I do my my question is going to be my available availability for the weekend. I, I I think people I'm doing SEC stuff too, and that's where most yeah. of my living is going to be made. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago it was more more here, and it's just right. You you can't make a living covering Vandy all the time. I, I've got more divided attention than I've ever had, just out of out of necessity. Uh, so sure. I'm I'm I've got a. I got a best friend coming into town this weekend, and I've got to keep a big eye on the NCAA tournament because that's where we're, that's where the money's being made right now, and, and watching other teams. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm trying to decide. I might be able to get down there for Sunday's game, depending on what's going on around our house, and, and maybe try to watch the other two TV from TV. I haven't figured out how I'm gonna manage all this yet, but anyway. Well, I'll be there for all three, so just I'll be able to give you a good report come Monday. Yeah, I mean, trust me, I'm, I'm going to be keeping an eye on it. It just may be more from from streaming from than, than being there in person. Yeah. Anyway, that that'll that'll change as soon as, or it'll change more as we get done with basketball. So, right. Anything else on baseball, or do you want to just go ahead and, and grab the mailbag here? Let's do the mailbag. Uh, like I said, baseball. When we start this weekend, we're going to find out. We're going to get a lot of. Uh, questions answered i'll be honest i'm concerned uh this week and i think Ole miss hits the daylights out of the ball um they just don't seem to have any offensive confidence right now and i don't think that's a spot you want to be in 
heading into conference play. But you know, you sometimes you see a team flip a switch right when it starts. A and M did that a year ago. Yep. And I think this, I still go back. There's one thing that I love. We're only striking out seven times a game. If we right. can continue to, if that, if that carries over to conference play, we're going to be okay. Okay, the mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200, see what your rights are, and if they can help. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and order that these were asked. Uh, go towards 94, what's wrong with our hitting? That's the first question. We just talked about it. I, uh, what I do at games is I'm, I keep on my phone how many balls we hit on the nose, whether it's a hit or an out, and we're averaging 10 a game. So that's a little better than what we're actually producing. Uh, so that takes a little bit of the concern away. But my biggest concern is why we're taking so many fastballs right down the pipe, seems like. I don't understand that. We're, we're, we're way behind the count way too many times. So that's my biggest concern. Okay. He had a question about should Vanderbilt have been in the NCAA tournament. You answered that one. Uh, motivation in the NIT, we hit on that. Okay, here's a good one. I think we touched on it, but what lessons do you think Stack should learn from the season with regards to positioning for an NCAA bid? Should he have done things differently this season, scheduling and lineups, et cetera? Or was it not possible to anticipate what the committee did? All of the above, absolutely. And I think I think he's learned. Uh, if he hasn't, then he's never going to learn because that non-conference uh, probably is the reason why we didn't get in the tournament. But, uh, well, obviously it is if you win 13 SEC games. So, yeah, he's got to take that serious, whatever it is worth and if you want to tinker with lineups tinker with them before the season starts because you got to get into a rotation a lot quicker than we did this year and figure it out it's got to be figured out a lot quicker than that how was it a coach in his fourth year didn't know the the basics like you've got to do your research on how how the committee works and everything and and to be using the word preseason in your fourth year just to me is inexcusable well here's what i think and, and and now all coaches have egos, but Stackhouse is probably a little larger than most. And I think he felt like it doesn't matter. Roll the ball out there. I'll out coach him. I know basketball better than you do. And he's figured out that, Hey, no, I got to do my work. And he's done it. And look, pushing the buttons during the season, like he did with Tyron and with Jordan, Wright. You can't fault any of that, man. He He pushed the right button for whatever it was after that, debacle in Alabama it you talk about flipping a switch there was a switch flipped and so you have to give credit for that as well as talk about what happened in the early part okay JDL Cav uh, basketball any thoughts on transfers in and out well got the thing with Miles and I, I think there'll probably be one or two more I don't know that um, I know the portal is filling up pretty quick so if you're going to transfer uh, you probably would want to do it right away, I would think, Chris. Is that is that off base? I don't think so. Okay. Hard corridor. Do you think the lack of hitting is due to recruiting failures or coaching failures or both? <sighs> Too early to tell. I don't, you know, 
last year we were one win away from getting to a super regional. So I, you know, as, as, as weak at times as our hitting was last year, yeah, we had three holes in the lineup. The seven, eight, nine didn't hit much at all. That may be what we're looking at again this year. I do think that the, uh, and I mentioned it earlier, getting Enrique going and getting him active on the base path and creating havoc and starting juice for our team. That's got to happen. That hasn't happened yet this year, not once. And once it does, then we're going to find out. I think everything else will follow suit. Yeah, I. Here's the thing, uh, and and man, I I love this guy, but he's in charge of recruiting and hitting, and it's Mike Baxter. Right. They lost what seven guys to the draft, six guys. Right. I don't think that. First of all, they've never lost that many. Second of all, I don't think they anticipated that. Now, I don't, I don't know if that's his fault, if kids lied to him, if what happened, but, I mean, that was kind of alarming. The other thing, one thing that they banked a lot on is being old this year, okay? Well, let, let's look at this, okay? Parker Nolan just got benched. Enrique Bradfield is having the worst season of his career, although we've named explanations for that. Calvin Hewitt, what, a, a fourth-year player, is – Never hit this bad in his career. Um, he's been a what a 420 career on base guy. He's 313 right now. He struck out 11 times in 41 at bats with three walks. You've got Alan Espinall who's splitting time, but I mean he's hitting 172, and I, I don't think he's going to hit a lot. He's got some pop, but he can't handle breaking balls. You've got the continual decline of Jack Bolger. Uh, Troy Leneve is sitting here hitting 167. He's only had six at-bats. I mean, I'm presuming if he was ripping the cover off the ball that he'd been playing. T.J. McKenzie, I thought, could help them. Hitting 125 and 16 at-bats. Man, that's a lot of third- and fourth-year yeah. guys who were just giving them nothing. And I, I don't know what the problem is. Sometimes I hear about, you know, I think when you get smart kids, smart kids tend to think, rather than react and that's probably right. bad for hitting and you got a you got a coach who spent his first two years at Columbia and then went to Vanderbilt and some people think it's fairly or unfairly too complicated I don't know what the reasons are I don't, I don't know how much is fair to blame Mike Baxter for uh, but the, the results with these old guys aren't good well and let's look at what Gavin Cassis is doing at South Carolina oh yeah no no look South Carolina has played me and you pitching and I, I get that, that, but I mean, but but yes, it's what nine home runs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, there's your answer at first base, right there. No doubt, and I don't know what happened there. I don't know if that was a, a runoff oh, or yeah. just him choosing other pastures. But it's man, it's. I'm, I'm I'm guessing he's glad he made the move because it's worked out uh, for him. It it, it sure crazy. has. Did Hogan go to South Carolina as well? I thought we had a second player go there. Hogan went to South Carolina, but then transferred down. Oh, okay. Um, I want to say to some school in the Midwest, maybe a mid-major. Um, I, I, that's off the top of my head. Got you. Okay, I don't know if this is a comment or a question. or if in, And if it's a comment, it may be in response to something in the question thread. But Vandy 1995 baseball, I think the zone hitting technique – is really hurting the lineup. Feel like we don't attack mistakes because we're too busy looking for a pitch in the zone. Bax has told the team to look for. So I'll just let you respond to that. 
Well, that kind of goes back to what I'm saying about I don't understand why we take so many fastballs that are right in, I mean, right down the middle. Is it, is it like you, like this man is whoever, the, I'm sorry, who was it that made that statement? Uh, Vandy 1995. Okay. If what Vandy 1995 is saying, it may be correct that they're told to do that. And I, if they are, that's, I'm just in disagreement, just in my opinion, I'm in disagreement. There's got to be a reason for it. Like you just said, Benedict Baxter's a smart man. So <laughs> he's not just doing things to be detrimental on purpose. So he thinks there's something to it that's going to help us. Now, one other thing I haven't mentioned about pitching, we have not seen many power pitchers at all yet. The ones we did see, we hit better in Texas. These guys that throw, for a better word, slop, that throw 71 and then their fastball is 84, 87, we can't hit them for some reason, for whatever reason. And I don't know if it's because we never see it. I don't know. But those are the ones we have tons of trouble with. I, I've always said, if you want to beat Vanderbilt, get you a soft tossing lefty and let him throw. It's, and, it's and been he, that way for 15 years. No, I know. And I don't understand that. And maybe other teams have the same problems. We just don't see it. But the kid that was the reliever at Tennessee last year, it was like six foot, if, if he oh, probably five, nine. Uh, it couldn't break a glass. Kirby Cannell? No, no, no. Uh, the soft tossing, tossing lefty. Um, that sounds like Kirby Cannell, the kid with the mustache. No, it's not him. He, well, they've he got closed, two of them then. <laughs> this guy closed games for Tennessee. He was a little bit, he's gone now. He's a little bitty left handed kid. Uh, you can go back and look in a minute when we get off. But anyway, he didn't throw the ball hard at all. His fastball was probably 86. And, he, man, he got people out all year long in the conference. So I think it's not just us. But what I'm saying, and Ole Miss, I don't know. I haven't studied their pitching yet. I don't know if they're power pitchers. But if those guys are throwing 93 to 97, I'll bet you anything we hit them better than we do the ones that are throwing 78 to 84. Yeah, I mean, I thought they looked great hitting the ball in Texas. And that's a big league ball partner. Their, their, their pitching looked bad, too. But <laughs> that's why I'm having such trouble – getting my arms around this team because they just th – there's been again, so many mixed but, things here. It, it, do you think – is there some experimenting going on here, some sandbagging, so to speak? I don't think there is, but it almost seems that way sometimes. I, I don't think it's sandbagging when, when a lot of the guys are hitting around a buck fifty. Right, right. Um, yeah, so I don't, that are on the bench, so – yeah, I mean, yeah. okay, Redmond Walsh was the guy you're talking about, but they had two yes. of those guys. Yes, Redmond Walsh, yes. Yeah. I mean, Cannell yeah. struck out 36 and walked 6. Walsh struck out 40 and and walked 10. Yeah, and he, and he couldn't break an egg. But it gets people out. So, I mean, you don't have to throw 95 to beat people. I think that has been, and it's kind of like John Calipari's thing at Kentucky, right? They always go for upside. Like, how many years could you have traded a McDonald's All-American for a kid who can shoot the lights out, who maybe isn't the most gifted athlete and isn't going to play in the league? Like, how many times yep. would that have helped Kentucky before? And and those are the kids that Vanderbilt just cleaned up on for years, right, in basketball. Yep. I feel like it's kind of the same way. It feels like everybody they sign is this – this pro prospect who's who's coming in throwing 93, 94, maybe 95, uh, you know, sometimes the first year it looks like they're walking 
12 guys in, in seven innings and, and hoping to develop those guys. And you saw him do this. I, I, I remember clear as day. One of the years that South Carolina won the national title, they had this left-handed kid named, I think it was Jose Mata. And I think he was kind of a sidearmer. I don't know that he topped out more than 87, 88. But they, they threw a couple of those guys out there and just got Vanderbilt out all weekend. And a couple of years later, Vanderbilt brings in a kid named Brian Miller, who yep. probably doesn't crack 80, 85, 86, but he throws strikes and it's a tough arm angle. And Brian Miller never came close to sniffing the major leagues, but it was a great reliever for Vanderbilt. Yep. I feel like they need to get one or two of those kids every year. And part of the value isn't just throwing them out there on weekends or weekdays, but just having that look in your bullpen somewhere to, for other yeah, guys to see. Because you're right. You're right. They, they you know, the, the thing that everybody dreads is when they play a midweek team and the other team rolls out a, a guy with a 10-33 ERA um, <laughs> who's a lefty who doesn't top 85, and you know what happens. They, 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 they go the first three innings scoreless, and then they bring in another one of those. And I, I think that if nothing else, that would not only help them have a different look, but just getting to see that in batting practice I think helps your hitters too. You know, and Chris, we're, we're doing this and – I, I'm so bad about this, but it's hard for me to criticize what when you look at the what we've done in the last 20 years in baseball. But there's always you can always get better in everything you do. So, you know, yeah, I, I agree with you. We, we yeah, I mean, we look, we, let's be clear. We we have we have nibbled around the edges on baseball all day. But those are the things that people are talking about. I, I think that the baseball fan base overreacts. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I can't tell you how many times I've gone on the board. And they win a couple games in basketball, and, and there's a national championship on the way, and they lose a midweek game in baseball, and, and the program is collapsing, and Corbin's yep. lost his edge. And I mean, it, it, it is funny to watch the, how the fan base reacts in different sports right now. It really is. Well, look at Chris Lamonis at Mississippi State. Right now, oh, they're yeah. probably the worst team in the league, and they won a national championship two years ago. Well, let me, let me give it to you this way, too, okay? If they take two out of three against Ole Miss, you end the season today, I don't care what your problems are with them, they're not only hosting, they're hosting two weekends right now. If, if they that's get right. to this weekend and you stop the season there, that that's what they've done. The, the, the schedule's been really tough, but getting a series win over UCLA, getting two out of three out in Arlington – I don't know that getting two out of three in Minneapolis was an accomplishment, but it's not a, a check mark against you. And that that is how you that that's how you make your case for postseason and they're completely on track in that regard. Yeah, and I know it's Oklahoma State. They haven't lost since that since the band since we beat them. I think they lost the next day and they haven't lost since. And through two no hitters back to back. Yeah. So there you go. And we all know how good UCLA is. I think UCLA could be an Omaha team for sure. See, that's that's another thing. This staff threw a no hitter a week and a half yeah. ago when we barely talked about it. I know <laughs> that's just where the program it's is. Because we're expecting Vanderbilt. The expectations with Vanderbilt baseball, unlike any other sport over there, mostly is yeah. perfection. And there's not such a thing as perfection. It's the sport that seventy percent failure puts you in the Hall of Fame. Okay, last question from Bex V. You expected SEC baseball record? Uh, 
16, 14, 17, 13 is what I'm going to go with. Yeah, I, I think that's – I was going to say 15 and 15, but I, I think 16 and 14 is probably more I, – I, I don't think – I'm not going to say they can't play worse. And I'm, I'm really concerned about the hitting. But something also tells me that, that just if, – if nothing other than sheer dumb luck, that's going to get better. And and look at the UCLA series. That's the one I'm going by more than any of them. And we won two of the three in low-scoring games. We scored six in one, scored three in another, and we were shut out, I guess. But if you win two out of three, it doesn't matter what the scores are. Just win two out of three. And if our pitching can carry us to two wins every weekend, it doesn't matter if we don't score double-digit runs. UCLA this weekend took two out of three from Oregon, lost six to two on Friday, won eight to seven and sixteen to nothing. Um, so boy, you you go back and what it held that UCLA offense to that is pretty impressive. UCLA has lost one game since it's left town. I want to say one more thing about pitching or a pitcher. I thought Sam Laboki looked like Sam Laboki. Yeah. yeah. Finally. Boy, I think he is the key to this staff. Him being effective and being counted on on the weekends is huge for what we need to get accomplished. Well, and here, here's another thing. And it's that, like, if, if, uh, if man, it doesn't seem like Sam Laboki struck out 19 and walked three. As my wife uh, calls it, he has a fish tail. That pitch is a fish tail. <laughs> yeah. And it listen, he yeah, he, he misses bats. Grayson Moore has struck out nineteen and walked four. I didn't realize that. See, here's the thing. You got two dudes coming out of the pen right now that are just shutting everything down. Bryce Cunningham and Nick Maldonado between them have pitched twenty four scoreless innings, struck out thirty three and walked four. Now they are losing some games right now where they're pitching some other guys, I'm not gonna name names in spots where if their season is on the line, you're going to see Cunningham and Maldonado. Um, maybe you can have a quicker hook with some other guys. And that's no, – nobody's hitting those two kids right now. And those, those are dudes that can both throw several innings in relief. And, and those are the guys that if you've got one of those, that's a huge asset. If you've got two or three, and, and I, I think Grayson Moore could probably do that too, yeah. that's where you win ball games in the postseason. I said from the get-go, Chris, that we had we started with seventeen. You take out you take out Doolin and you take out Colton Reagan. I guess is injured or hasn't pitched. So we have fifteen guys, and I said if you get ten guys that you can rely on on the weekends to get you through the series, I think we got twelve or thirteen right now. Yeah, if you're right and they get to seventeen and thirteen. Uh, that that may be a national seed, and eighteen and twelve would certainly do it. Because again, they have started to bank good weekends, and that that's going to be really critical going forward. Is this one coming up is huge? It is, and and because you you got a great measuring stick because you're playing possibly the one of the top three teams in the league in Ole Miss, and you you're, you're coming off a situation where you really do need to win two out of three. You really to start it off because you're at home. Yeah, that's that's the formula in the SEC. Win two out of three at home, don't get swept on the road, and you're going to be okay. Anything else before we end the show today? 
No, Chris, again, I'll be praying for you and your family. And uh, I have some things going on with my wife's family. I need some prayers there from you. And uh, uh, I hope everybody comes out tonight and watches us hopefully beat Yale and play Michigan. And then we got uh, baseball playing uh, Belmont tonight. Hopefully they can get another midweek win. Um, but besides that, no, I hope you have a great week. Hey, thanks, Luke. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrisley70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.